Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Those are two wonderful passages that helps us during times of difficulty. Tonight, we will return to Deuteronomy 5. should finish Deuteronomy 5. We'll be ready for that wonderful, dynamic chapter, chapter 6, next week. But tonight, we'll start with this Prager University video, and then we'll go to it. So let's just take a few seconds, closing our eyes and bowing our heads. I'll open us in prayer, and then we'll go to the video. Dearly Father, we're thankful that we have the Word of God, your Word. We're thankful that it has been not only inspired, but preserved for us. We know that it reveals to us your thoughts. It provides for us an understanding of your desires for us. We pray, Father, that we would spend time in the Word of God, understanding what your provisions are for us, your protection for us, and also the the design that you have planned for us in eternity past. We ask now for your blessing upon our message tonight, our Bible class this evening. First of all, as we start with this video, and then also for our study in Deuteronomy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I particularly appreciated that video because there are many families today that do not attend church. It's not because they don't believe in God, but they just don't find church functional or beneficial for them. And many adults who may have at one time believed in God, even had attend churches, today find themselves either too busy or simply disinterested. One of the things that we found in our Good News Clubs, and I was very thankful that our church supported at least four, if not more, Good News Clubs, But we found that children who attended those good news clubs would go home and they would have an impact on their parents. And you might think, well, they would have an impact on their brothers and sisters, and they do. But it was remarkable that they also had an impact on their parents. I had one parent tell me, that her daughter began to request prayer before each meal. And she said that's not something that they had done in the past, but because of her request, they began to pray 
for their meals, particularly in the evening. She also said, this mother, said that uh, as her child began to learn more and more about the Bible and how God wanted her to live, she would also try to correct her brothers who were either misbehaving or maybe using God's name inappropriately. And I noticed in this woman, who, by the way, also happens to come to my house to uh, assist me in cleaning my house, not that the house ever really needs its cleaning, it's, but I know that she now enjoys talking about uh, the Bible. And she says that she's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something that she would not have said five years ago when I first met her. So it's important that our children hear about God, that they hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, that they understand that there is a Savior, there is an eternal life. And children are uh, naturally drawn to that kind of security. And therefore, I thought that this was an excellent uh, way to start this evening. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 5. Last week, we studied the Ten Commandments. And this week, we are going to begin in verse 23. And I'll read from verse 23 to verse 33, and I believe that we can cover those verses very well this evening. As I said, my goal is to begin next week in chapter 6, and chapter 6 is in itself a remarkable chapter. So, let's begin with me reading, beginning in verse 23, chapter 5, Deuteronomy, verse 23. And this, of course, we remember, Moses has explained, retaught, we could say. He's retaught the Ten Commandments to the second generation, the Exodus generation. We can say the first generation to depart Egypt had been received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And now Moses is reviewing that for this second generation. Verse 23, So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. Now, the you here, so it was when you, is a reference to, we could say, the second generation but it would have been those who were younger than 20 when they were at Mount Sinai. So he's addressing them, but we could also say that uh, he's addressing a historical fact and saying that God, that he had directed them, meaning all of Israel. So verse 23, so it was when you, Israel, let's just say it that way, heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and elders. And you said, 
Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he, man, still lives. Verse 25. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Then we shall die. So there's a reference here to them hearing God's word and them dying. God taking their lives. Verse 26. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? This, of course, is the leadership speaking to Moses. And we'll try to correct the understanding here as we go on. Verse 27. You go near Moses, meaning you, Moses, go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say. And then we could say, you tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Verse 28. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of your, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. So, This is God now speaking to Moses. He's saying, I've heard what the people have requested. Verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Verse 30. God speaking to Moses. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, Moses... Stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Verse 32. Therefore, you shall be careful. And this is Moses now speaking. Moses is now speaking to Israel. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, in order that you may live and in order that you may be well with you, that it may be well with you. And thirdly here, in order that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. All right, this these 10 verses are not probably the most exciting verses that we could find in the Word of God, but there are many principles here that I think uh, we can learn, that we can uh, review and understand who God is and what God is trying to do. And what he is doing with Israel, he is trying to do with us today. Not in the exact same way, but the principles are the same. All right. Verse 23. Verse 23 says, So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, you, Israel, the leadership, 
came near to me, Moses, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. So Moses, Moses is now speaking to Israel. We know that where he is probably on the east side of the Jordan in the area of Midian, he is now addressing for the most part the second generation. But as he speaks, he remembers what was happening at that time, 39 years ago. So Moses has not forgotten what happened that day as he and all Israel stood in front of Mount Sinai. And we could find that in Exodus 20. Exodus 20, 18, and 19. The fire, the smoke, the lightning, the thunder, the trumpets, and incredible, inhuman sight was terrifying and shocking. This was something that no one has seen since prior to that and since then. The Israelites wanted to run and hide. Moses was certainly affected by the event, but he had previously faced the presence of God. Israel had never seen anything like this display, and they were scared that they were about to die. Moses, on the other hand, had a personal relationship with God. And I think, while fearful, he was also not afraid to be in God's presence. As a matter of fact, he asks to see God. And, of course, God says to him, no one can see my face and live. Moses knew God and understood his love for Israel. But Israel was too immature to encounter this God who demonstrated his awesome omnipotence to them. This was to be an event in Israel's life that they would never, ever forget. We must understand the attitude of Moses. We must understand the, the majesty, the splendor, the grandeur of our God, and even fear his incredible omnipotence and justice. But we must also understand that he loves us and desires for us to love him and trust him as well. So there is a lesson for us to learn here. We're not going to see God in this way, but we look forward to seeing God in his glory. And we have all of these promises in the word of God that we can read and hopefully apply. God's majesty is beyond our understanding. And so it must be, because we have no ability to understand a God who created and holds all the universe in his hands. We say that, but there's no way for us to possibly comprehend how a personal God can do this. We just know that he did. Yet, also is involved this God is involved in the inner working of the cells of our body. So we have this huge, beyond comprehensive universe, which he handles, he manages, he controls. But yet he is also involved in the very cells 
of everyone's lives. So he desires to have a relationship with us. It is beyond our comprehension. But so is his incredible character, which never stops pursuing us, providing and protecting us, and desiring to have a personal relationship with us. Moses had that understanding to the extent that a human could, and that is he understood the character of God. We must strive to have that same understanding and seek to be in fellowship with him all day long because he desires to have a fellowship, to have fellowship with us all day long. He is there. He is omnipresent. He is with us. He is in us. And this is important for us to understand. Verse 24, And you, Israel, said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory. The word here for glory is a word that I've used in the past. It's kavod. And it means uh, in Hebrew, in its very simplest understanding, basic understanding, it's weighty. It means something is heavy. And we say that something that is significant, we would probably say gold. Gold is heavy. And that is the sense of this word, kavod, glory. It's grandeur. And his greatness, and this is gavol, it even sounds great. It sounds majestic, gavol. And the word I like to use here is magnificence. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man. Yet man still lives, is what we would say here. Israel understood the righteousness and justice of God the perfect standards of this God who appeared in this spectacle on the mountain. This is an incredible opportunity for them. God appears to them and he is there and he certainly did impress them, but it was designed to hang in their minds, remembering who this God is and what he's done for them. God demands us to remember who he is and what he's done for us. Israel understood that they had no right to be alive in the presence of God and truly because of their faltering faith. They knew this. They knew that they were weak in their spiritual life. They knew that God could and should end their lives in an instant and they had no interest in being in that place in front of God. It was almost as if they were too close. He could reach them and he could take their lives. He could snuff out their lives and they desired not to be there. Their misapprehension of the situation was that if they could go hide in their tents, that somehow they might survive. Well, interesting. Verse 25. Now, Therefore, and again, this is Israel speaking to Moses. Now, therefore, why should we die? This is, I would say, the preoccupation with oneself. If we stay here, we're going to die. And why should we die? Moses, you can go forward, but we think we should probably back away. And that's what this phrase says. 
Now, therefore, why should we die? Well, they know that they probably should die, but they're asking, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Then we shall die. Let's get verse 26 here as well. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have heard and lived? So they're asking this rather rhetorical question. They're not really expecting an answer from Moses, but they're saying, you know, um, we kind of like our lives. Uh, why should we stand here and get consumed by this fire? Uh, why don't we just back away? Well, one of the reasons why they shouldn't is because God told them to come and stand here and listen to him as he speaks to them. But this is not something they want to do. The Israelites say in verse 25 that if they hear the voice of God again, they will die. Then they ask, who has heard the voice of God and lived? Well, God had told Moses that no one can see God and live. And we studied that in Exodus thirty-three twenty. Moses had asked uh, if he could see God. And God said, no one can see me and live. He didn't say no one can hear me. But this is Israel either, number one, misquoting Moses, or number two, trying to convince Moses by changing the warning. Because we know that many people have heard God speak and they've lived. God spoke to many prophets and even to individuals. I'm not sure if the Israelites, if the Israelites were exaggerating the word of God or if they simply lacked the, the awe of God to remain in the presence of God. So this is what we're seeing here with these people. Yes, they are genuinely afraid of this display, I'll call it. But that fear does not include a reverence for him that God desires from them. My sense is that this Exodus generation, the Exodus generation that now probably is gone, but the Israelites would prefer to let Moses deal with God and his mandates while they do something else, going back to their tents. And we'll see that that is what's going to happen. The lesson for us is not to simply understand who God is, which includes our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, but truly live for him. We should not only understand that there is a God, but we should be occupied with him. Do we have the devotion for God that draws us to, every, uh, to him every day? Do we find ourselves thinking of him during the day? Do we find ourselves talking to him in prayer or even ongoing conversation, which should be something that we do? Uh, yes, we have prayers. We offer a supplication as we describe this. But I believe there is an opportunity for conversation with God. He's listening. He's with us. He walks with us. And we can have a conversation with him. Very often that conversation provides tranquility and comfort for us. And therefore, we should have a conversation. 
Do we have the time to truly focus on our prayers and reading his word? We are easily distracted by life, but we can allow various desires or activities to come first in our lives. Our spiritual lives must be first or our distractions will soon be what dominates our thoughts and our lives. And I think we find ourselves very often discouraged because we are not trusting in the Lord. We're not occupied with him. And so adversities, difficulties that occur to us every day can cause us to be easily distracted. But if we are having that conversation with him, we are comforted. Israel had an opportunity to stand and listen to their God speak to them. They chose to turn away and let Moses get the details while they returned to their tents. If God was truly front and center in their lives, they would have arrived early and stayed late to listen to their God. Verse 27. Verse 27 says, You go near, Moses. Moses, you go near. And hear all that the Lord our God may say. And tell us all that the Lord our God, tell us all what God, the Lord our God says to you. And we will hear and do it. Yes, right. Well, we know that the Exodus generation found it very difficult to maintain that promise. So the people here say, Moses, you can listen to the words of the Lord. And you can distill it for us later. In other words, um, this is a pretty frightful sight. I think you can stay and we'll leave. What could have been more important? Yes, I know that they were afraid and may have been and may have even thought they were about to die. But if God wanted them dead, he could have allowed them to remain in Egypt. He could have allowed Pharaoh to destroy them at the Red Sea. God could have allowed them to die on the trip to Mount Sinai or at Mount Sinai. God could have withheld food and water during the wilderness trip to Mount Sinai or while at Sinai. But he did not do any of those things. No, God is committed to Israel, but they could not find it within them to rep- to to reciprocate in devotions to him. Moses, tell us what we need to know and we'll do it. However, many of them did not. And we know from the second generation or from the the Exodus generation that they died in the wilderness. Now, in verses 28 through 29, God approves the request for the people to depart. And as we read verse 28, it sounds as if God is pleased with the people's request. Then, when we read verse 29, the sense, I believe, is a little bit different. A little bit different. Verse 28 and verse 29. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words. In other words, this is Moses now speaking to the people. We've had God speaking, we've had Moses speaking, and now we have Moses again speaking. 
Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are correct. The word here, the Hebrew word correct, could also be understood as correct in all that they have spoken. Verse 29. Now listen to the way that this God approaches this. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that they might, that it might be well with them, with their children forever. We know, first of all, that it was not well with the Exodus generation. So here is Moses speaking to the Israelites. And first of all, we see that the Lord acknowledges the quest that the Israelites have made. In verse 29, God says that he desires that the people would have a heart for him, but they do not. They will not fear God to the point that they will obey him. God knows that the Exodus generation might periodically say the right words. They might even have had correct intentions, but they didn't have the heart. They didn't have the motivation. They didn't have the commitment. They didn't have the devotion to honor God and to obey him. And we might say, when push came to shove, they did not have the shove. I remember hearing that when I was a child. There's you know, so many sayings that really communicate well. And here we have the Israelites saying that we will uh, obey. But when it came down to truly obeying, they just didn't have the devotion. They didn't have the commitment. The image that we have here, when we say that when push came to shove, they didn't have the shove. The image is of having to shove when mere pushing is ineffective. And that's what was happening with many of the Israelites. Their promise to be obedient was ineffective. Also notice that what God is about to say would have an impact on the people's future and the future of their children. The information spoken by God was critical to the Exodus generation, but they did not remain and absorb the full significance of what God would require of them. So at Mount Sinai, we have the Exodus generation. And while they came to the mountain because they were called to the mountain, they simply didn't have the interest, we could say, to remain and to hear what God had to say to them. What God says in his word must be critical to us. We must listen. We must hear, understand it, and obey it. Israel is our example of not applying God's word to them. They heard the word. They even were taught. They were educated in what God was speaking to them. But what did they do? They chose to go back to their tents. Verse 30. This is God speaking to Moses. Go and say to them, return to your tents. 
This is one of those words that we hear, uh, that we find very often in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word for return or to turn. It's shuv, return, turn. It's also used very often for repentance. So Moses says to them, or God tells Moses to tell them, return to your tents. It's a little different, but I can remember growing up when I would do something wrong. Mother would often say, go back to your room and think about what you've done. And this is not quite the same, but I think God understands that Israel's not going to get any benefit from standing there and listening to him. And therefore, he says, return to your your tents. I'm not certain what Moses expected God to say, but I wonder if Moses was surprised to hear God's response. And this is somewhat the same response, I think, that Samuel uh, wondered about God. God had chosen to speak to Israel personally. They have the opportunity to listen to God's voice, as Moses had many times. But they decide it was simply too frightening, too dangerous, or maybe too inconvenient. This response reminds me of Samuel. Samuel speaking to the leaders of Israel in 1 Samuel 8. The situation is much different. But in the end, Samuel tells the people to go home. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 8. Just hold your finger here. 1 Samuel 8. You might remember I've taught this several times, but this happens to be the the situation or the incident, I guess we could say. 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8, when the people come to Samuel, they come to Samuel and say, Samuel, you're old. Not only that, but your sons are are disobedient. They have turned aside. They are dis, uh, after dishonest gain. They've taken bribes and they've perverted justice. Therefore, we want a king. A king that can judge us. A king that can go before us in in battle. And of course, Samuel knows God's plan for Israel. And he knows up to that point that God is the king. God is protecting them. God is the judge. And so we read that Samuel is displeased. But Samuel will go to the Lord and say to him, this is what Israel has requested. And I don't think that Samuel was prepared for God to say, tell them that's what we'll do. Because Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so I think we have a similar situation here. In Samuel 8, at the end, verse 19, after God has warned Israel, given the information to Samuel, and Samuel has warned warned them what the cost was going to be, Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, 
we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Well, how did that work against the Philistines and Goliath? Verse 21, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. I think it's the same idea. Go. Go back to your tents. And that's what we have here in Deuteronomy. Uh, We have a group of people who have their own mentality. They have their own idea of what they want. And it's not to stand here and listen to God. The people of Samuel's situation listened to the the information and rejected it. Here the people don't even care to hear the information. I may be a little harsh in my description of what happened in front of Mount Sinai, but I don't think very much. Verse 31, But as for you, Moses, stand here by me. Who is this? This is God speaking to Moses. Moses, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them. The word here for teach means to exercise. It means to train them. And this is how we have uh, various military units, even sports teams. We exercise them. We train them. It's an ongoing process. And I think that's what this word lamad means. It means to exercise them, train them, that they may observe to do, that they may observe them, the commandments, in the land which I am giving to them. So God tells Moses that he is to stand by him and listen to God as he presents the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, that Israel should do them when they arrive in the promised land. This is how Israel is supposed to live themselves in the land. The word, again, for teach has a basic meaning of to exercise, to train. The teaching here was more than rote teaching, but it was to train Israel in the commandments. And this is probably what Moses did for 39 years, teaching this second generation. So God tells Moses to teach Israel. That's in verse 31. And then he will tell Israel to teach the children. And we'll find that in chapter 6, verse 7. God again emphasizes the fact that what God is teaching them is how they should live in the land if they desire to continue to possess it. They need to be obedient. Verse 32 Therefore you, Israel, and this is Moses now speaking again, therefore you, Israel, shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. The words here that we have to be careful and to do, the first one's an old friend, shamar. Uh, It means to guard, to observe. So Moses returns to his direction, to the second generation. The phrase to be careful to do is a strong 
construction in the Hebrew. Neither Hebrew is an imperative, but the two together have the force of a command. The translation, to be careful, is probably a bit weak for the kind of guidance that God is giving. This is our old friend, as I said, Shamar. It means to guard, to keep, to observe, to watch. Israel was absolutely to guard what the Lord had commanded them to do. And then Moses uses two, uses a figure of speech, not turning from the right hand or to the left. This reminds me of blinders that are used on horses. That's one of the first things I comes to my mind when I don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left. The blinders, we would call them, were designed to prevent the horse from being skittish or distracted by something occurring on either the right side or the other side. It would allow him to look straight ahead. God is a path or a road for Israel to travel. And while they were to, they were to, uh, and while there will be disturbances along the way, they are not to turn or be distracted by them, but look straight ahead and follow the path. Verse 33. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you possess. The biblical illustration of being obedient or to live according to God's will is the word walk. It's the Hebrew word halak. It's used constantly in the Old Testament. The simple meaning is to go. The word walk is used, it's used so often for walk that most people believe that that's its original meaning. But the original meaning is to go. Israel was to go in the way that God commanded them. The same is for us. There is a direction that God wants us to go. And if we do, we please God. In order that you may live, the context here is not life versus death, but to prosper in that life. If Israel was obedient, God would bless them and they would prosper in the land. That's the sense that we have in this verse. Now, we have three results, or we could say purposes, of going in the way which God has commanded. First of all, in order that you may live a prosperous life. I've already mentioned that this word for live, chayai, means to preserve the life. It means to prosper. And so, in order that you may live a prosperous life. Secondly, in order that it might be well with you. Now, when we say that it would be well with you, we mean a life absent of punishment from God. Uh, There's going to be difficulties, but if they are obedient, God's not going to be disciplining them and punishing them. And then thirdly, in order that you may prolong your days in the land, meaning that the land, that the nation would settle into the land that God gives them and they would not be disturbed 
by outside nations. They would prosper there. They would be well there. And they would also prolong their days in the land. And we know as we study the history of uh, Israel that when they were disobedient, they were not prolonged in the land. The application for us is simple, I believe. If we follow the path that God designs for us, meaning devoted to him and obedient to his word, we will have a life that is pleasing to God and we will enjoy the life that he designs for us. This does not mean that we will never have hardship or problems or adversity. But by trusting in the Lord, keeping our eyes on him, understanding that our lives are in his hands, we have a foundation of happiness that weathers, that can weather all the storms of life. And there are going to be storms in life. Uh, We may find storms uh, constantly, but very often those are simply tests. Are we going to trust in the Lord? Are we going to lean on him? Are we going to follow the promises that he's given us? Or are we going to collapse? Are we going to sink under the waves? So we have the opportunity to have happiness even in a fallen world. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. We are certainly thankful that you love us with a love that's beyond uh, our comprehension. And we're thankful because of that love, you have provided a means for us to have a relationship with you. And that is through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the, the penalty for our sins. And simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our salvation, our redemption, a redemption that provides for us a world of wonderful promises that you have given to us. We pray, Father, that we would provide a wonderful example to others as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that we live in a world where there is much distress, much much, uh, disappointment. But, Father, we can give them the wonderful news that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided for us a means of happiness. And that happiness comes by believing in him as our personal Savior. Father, we're thankful for the lessons we learned in these verses tonight. We ask that we would understand the responsibilities that we have for being obedient, obedient and keeping our eyes on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.